0: this morning oh, hold on. this morning we are looking at Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32 in the parable of the prodigal son be reading from Luke 15 uh, you find our passage on uh, page uh, at the bottom right corner of page 874 and Uh, We'll be reading from uh, verse 11 all the way uh, through to the end of the chapter. We'll be reading from the English Standard Version, hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property more than enough bread but i perish here with hunger i will arise and go to my father and i will say to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you i am no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father but while he was still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, this many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. (coughs) So I got a new uh, um, Bible for my personal devotions in the morning. And it's one of those journaling Bibles. It's got like extra lines and space on the side so you can make your notes. I love that. Really, It's the first time I ever got one. I really, really enjoy it. Um, but one thing I appreciate about modern English Bibles is all the, the, the nice little headings they put above the sections to kind of just give you a visual marker. And just to be clear, those are not scripture, right? Those are put in by the different translation teams, the ESV team, the NIV team, uh, the, the NAS team, whatever, uh, whatever your particular um, uh, uh, persuasion. Um, uh, and, so, and they're very helpful, but I also at times find them very annoying. Uh, and I've, I've, in fact i 've started correcting them so uh, and, and, and so uh and, and so the the headings like i said they 're not scripture, but for example, this week I was reading genesis twenty two and uh, and the section heading said the the sacrifice of Isaac and I wrote near in between the and uh, you know because I was like he didn 't get sacrificed so the near sacrifice of isaac right it 's pedantic it 's part of the curse of being a pastor um, but but uh, but Here is another heading in our Bible that we should correct, and I'm going to give you a few reasons why. Because this section is entitled, The Parable of the Prodigal Son, or just the Prodigal Son. And, well, it's the meaning of the word prodigal uh, has become obscured, Uh, and it's actually because of this parable. (laughs) Uh, Because prodigal is an adjective that originally meant to simply be extravagant, or recklessly wasteful with one's property or means—that's what prodigal means. It was actually through this 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 parable and the teaching of this parable, the popular teaching of this parable, um, that uh, that prodigal actually became. And you, if you'll look it up in the Oxford English uh, Dictionary, as we all want to do, um, uh, is you'll find another meaning. Is there is a son who uh, a child who goes off and lives kind of wild and recklessly, but then. Penitently returns home, right? That's based on this story. This parable changed the meaning of that word, and so you have this. But so you have this kind of changed definition, um, and so, but which kind of obscure. But but the reason I object to it is it being the title is because how does how does Jesus begin? A man had two sons, not one two sons. We need to remember that this is a parable that is being told, as we're told in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it's being told in the presence of tax collectors and sinners, but it is being told to Pharisees and scribes who object that Jesus receives sinners. And so much well-intentioned teaching on this parable has focused only on God's love for repentant sinners. It's not that that's wrong, it's just incomplete. Like, if you want to preach that, that's great. Do two sermons. But you haven't taught the actual meaning of the parable, the primary point of the parable, unless you talk about the elder brother. So this morning we're going to consider what this parable is really about. And we will see that this parable is about two lost sons, not just one. That this parable is about an astoundingly gracious father. And finally, that this parable is about us. So first, this parable is a story of two lost sons, not one. Jesus opens the story with a younger brother coming to his father, asking for his inheritance early. Uh, it's, it's, now, this is really... Um, uh, confusing for us as modern readers because there's a lot of financial analysts that will say to people, Hey, it's actually better if you, you know, you may want to consider giving your ch- children's inheritance to them earlier and over time. There's some financial accountants that will say, This will help you, it'll help save everybody in taxes, blah, blah, blah. They'll do that side of it. Um, or sometimes say, Okay, well, there may be a variety of reasons why um, somebody may request their inheritance early, and, uh, you know, it's not the wisest thing, but, you know, stuff like that. And so we kind of don't really see the scandal of this statement. Now, in the ancient world, uh, the inheritance, especially the Jewish community, inheritance was divided uh, with two thirds going to uh, the firstborn and one third going to each of the remaining children. In this case, a man had two sons. So the oldest son's going to get two thirds of the property, and the, eldest and the younger son's going to get one third of the, of the property, of the inheritance. Um, but, they, um, but it is held essentially in trust until the father dies. You don't get it early. They don't do early inheritances. That's not a thing. And so because to say I want my inheritance early is essentially going is – is for the young man to say, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could have my money. So uh, you're essentially dead to me. Give me my money now. I want to live as if you're dead. In fact, um, this request was so scandalous and so offensive, it was was considered criminal. And the the father could have easily disinherited his younger son right there. He He could have beaten him and cast him out. And everyone would have said that was the right thing to do. But for some reason, the father... Gives the son what he asked for. And upon receiving his inheritance, he, uh, the younger son promptly converts it into something that travels much e- more easily than property, which is cash. So he liquidates it. And we hear, you know, and actually we know about this more in Mississippi where you have family that pass land down to children and then children end up selling it. And so it ends up diluting the family estate, that kind of thing. And you can see why they had these laws. About two-thirds had to go to the firstborn. It was to preserve the, the land inheritance. Well, he goes ahead and sells it off and liquidates everything and takes his cash. And now, what good is it if you're young foolish and have a lot of money if you got your dad looking over your shoulder the whole time, right? And telling you, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be doing that. And that's not a good way to spend your money. And so he takes off and he runs from home, which is, not a, which is an uncommon thing in that culture. You stayed home. You, you stayed in the area because uh, there was, the mobility wasn't there. And so he takes off and he abandons his family and any commitments that he has to them to go enjoy himself in all the ways that Las Vegas may offer us today. This is where the word prodigal is aptly applied to the younger son. He spent his inheritance recklessly, indulging himself in all the lusts of the flesh that money could buy. But eventually, with that comes a a hard lesson in economics. If all you have is is expenditures and you don't have any income eventually bankruptcy is coming for you combine that with a famine in the land and now you're really up a creek without a paddle because you're not even near your family you have no social capital to go lean back on and so the younger son finds himself ultimately doing work that any Jewish person would, be, would despise and be disgusted by. He's feeding uh, unclean pigs, but so dire is his situation that he longed to feed upon the carob pods, which was a famine food that the pigs were eating. You know you're in a bad way when you long to eat pig slop. You've hit a certain stage, a certain level. In your life. But it says, even then, no one gave him anything. The way of the younger son is a way that many seek to find happiness in life. They want to follow pleasure and happiness, even if it requires breaking all the rules. Rules, authority, whether we're talking parental, religious, or civil rules, even. Are just holding you back from acquiring all that you desire in this life. So, the way of happiness lies in rebelling against those rules, getting what's yours, even if it means destroying and leveling your relationships with others, and abandoning your obligations, and casting off your duty. But as we see here in the younger son, it is all a lie, it is bankrupt. It is a bankrupt fairy tale that leaves people destitute, broken, and lost. If not financially, then very much so spiritually and personally. And we'll come back to the younger brother in a moment, uh, but let's turn now to the older son. And if the younger son represents the way of uh, hedonism, the way of seeking happiness through breaking the rules and rebellion, then the older son... Uh, then the older son uh, represents the way of moralism. Now, we only find out about the older son in verse 25. We only found out about him when he hears the celebration of his uh, brother's return. And he is furious at his father's generosity and decides to show his father up by refusing to enter the party. Now, again, this is one of those things where we don't quite get what's going on here. But similar to the younger son saying, give me my inheritance early, being scandalous, well, so how the elder brother, the older brother, um, treats his father by refusing and publicly refusing to enter into the celebration is him basically giving, as one author wrote, a vote of a public vote of no confidence in his father. And he is shaming his father publicly, saying his father is wrong. And, I, and, 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 and based on that and how he spoke to his father, his father could have disinherited his son, that son too. At the very least, Jesus' audience would have expected the father to discipline this disrespectful son. Jesus said elsewhere that from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And boy, that is true of the elder son. He doesn't address his father with any title of respect, father or, you know, honored, honored father. None of that. He scolds him. He rebukes him. He's angry because he always did what he was told. Did he? But he never even got a small goat to go celebrate with his friends. And here he is slaughtering the fatted calf for his good-for-nothing brother. He can't even call him his brother. He says, your son, right? And look, honestly, reading this text, there's a part of it that identifies with the elder brother's argument. There's a part where I'm like, I don't know, I think he might have a point. (laughs) You get the sense of his anger, his sense of the unfairness of it. So he goes off and he spends off all his inheritance and he comes back and everything else is supposed to go to me. And he comes back and basically is now living on my dime, on my future dime. Well, you can kind of go, OK, I, I kind got to see your point. But also notice how he said how he how he defines his relationship with his father, his sonship. He says he doesn't say it says I served you. But the word there is it is that word it's that word deleo, which is to serve as a slave. He's saying, I slaved for you. I wasn't your son. I was was your slave. All these years, I've slaved for you. I've never disobeyed your commands as a loyal servant. And his complaint is that he has not been sufficiently rewarded for his servile hard work and perfect obedience. But it reminds me of a, there's a character in um, uh, Charles Dickens' book, The Bleak, uh, Bleak House, not Bleak House. Sorry, it's in um, David Copperfield, and uh, and uh, David Copperfield. He's working in a printing and printing press. And he's falling in love with the printer's daughter. Okay, but there's a guy that works for the printer, and he, um, and. And he has this and he has and he, he's kind of a low birth, he's kind of worked his way into kind of a respectable position, but he's always talks and he's always always oh, talking about oh humble, I'm always oh, I'm so humble, I'm so humble, oh no, no, I'm humble, and he always kind of deferential. But behind that false humility is a wicked evilness that is skeeving and conniving, but he's obedient and he's humble, right? But his heart reveals it and so he's trying to he's trying to twist it and turn it and eventually he's trying to take the business and steal and steal the daughter Um, but he is uh, he has found out in the end and it reminds me of the elder brother here I've served you have you perhaps he has served his father perhaps he has obeyed his father but he has not loved his father but now look at this obedient son this super hyper obedient son who would never disobey a command from his father, publicly disrespecting him and rebuking his father. His resentment and hostility reveal that he does not love his father so much as he believes his father to be the means for him to get what he wants, goats and calves for his own parties with his own friends. Uh, resentment is when I read an uh, interesting quote about resentment. Uh, somebody said, uh, "Resentment is, is poison you drink for yourself, that you drink yourself while you wait for someone else to die." Okay. And Tim Keller helpfully pointed out in his study on this called "The Prodigal God," um, that uh, he says this parable in this parable uh, the elder brother represents the opposite coin of rebellion, of seeking happiness through rebellion. Is seeking happiness through moral conformity. Because both of the sons have not loved the father. They simply treat the father as a means to get the, the happiness and prosperity that they actually want. The younger son takes the path of rebellious self-discovery, while the elder son takes the path of moralism and rule-keeping. And Jesus is using this to show his audience, even us, that we can be alienated from God by breaking the rules... And by keeping the rules. And so we have a parable about two sons who do not love their father, but treat him simply as a means of getting their own definition of earthly happiness. But the parable is not only about two sons. uh, The story uh, is a parable uh, about a gracious father. which I apparently didn't type that slide. But uh, the parable is a story of an astoundingly gracious father. And we see this, first of all, in how he treats the younger son, in which we see the father who receives repentant rebels. Now, Jesus' audience would have been shocked at the very beginning of this parable by the fact that the father fulfilled the insulting and audacious demand of his younger son. But this seems to be a character quality of the father. Notice what what is it that gives the younger son hope that he can return home and not be a son again, but at least be one of the hired hands. It is the kindness and the generosity of his father as a a boss, as a worker. He, He goes, oh man, I'm just thinking about how well my dad treats his workers. And man, that would be better than this. So again, he goes back, he he comes to his senses, not realizing that he can wheel, you know, weave and scheme his way back in, but he comes to his senses about the reality of who his father is. He realize how gracious and kind his father is. And now, and one interesting uh and in, in this kind of in this and notice the kindness of the father inspires the repentance of the son. And now, interesting note here is that Jesus' audience would have expected and approved for the parable to end uh, with the righteous conclusion that the rebellious and ungrateful son was feeding pigs and no one gave him anything. The end. Because that's how ancient moral tales usually end. They end very dark, very bleak. People often die. Like, <laughs> just go read those ancient tales. They, they're not Disney movies, all right? Um, they're, they're not the happy, you know, happy, happily ever after. But, um, uh, but, uh, but up to this point, the, the Pharisees and the scribes would have just been nodding right along until Jesus talks about the son's return. But Jesus' audience still would have been offended by how the father received the son. Not only, not only, that, he received, not only that he received him at all, but in the way that he received him. It's one thing to receive the younger son uh, you know, if, if he came down and sufficiently groveled. If he came in dirty and grimy on his hands and knees, and sufficient I don't know, how, how long do you think? A week of groveling? A week out in the doghouse? What do you think? Two weeks? Maybe work as a hired worker for six months, and then we'll do a trial period as a son? I don't know. Uh, just, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, but uh, um, that, you know, that's what they would expect even, if he was to be received. And in, 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 a, ver- in, in a sense, that's what the younger brother was expecting to receive. But if you think about it, the younger brother was planning to become a version of his older brother. He said, I broke all the rules, but now I can't be a son anymore, but I'm gonna be, I'm, I'm, now I'm going to start obeying the rules. So I can get a little bit of bread. So I can have some food. So I can, things can go better for me. But before he can even get to the gate of the property, here comes his dad running down the lane, arms open wide. The father should not have even been looking for the son. But he, he says that we, you know, thought he was as good as dead. Thought we couldn't even, we uh, thought we'd never see him again. But he hoped he would. And so he was out there looking for him. And when he saw him, he ran to him. And that's the thing we need to know is that elder Jewish men do not run. It was considered beneath the dignity of of elder Jewish men because they would have to hike up the hem of their robes, bare their legs as they're running so they don't trip and fall. Okay. And, uh, and, he, and, and so in actually, this is actually not just an elderly Jewish thing. Um, there was a painter who was depicting uh, this, very, this very parable, and he, and he depicted it as the, 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 the uh, prodigal son coming home, and the, elder, and, and, and the father standing at the gate, arms up and wide, joyfully waiting for his son. And the missionary said, that's not the story. And, they, and, and, the, and, and the Chinese painter said, uh, well, yeah, but no, no dignified father would run to his son. They said, yeah, but that's what he did. And so the Chinese artist went and he re, repainted it. And, he, and, and in this version, he painted the father running to the son. And even the father's shoes didn't match because he had put them on so quickly. He had like a nice shoe on and a crock you know what i mean so you know but he runs to his son he grabs him at his arms kisses him welcomes him home and and so and and so and but he should not have restored his son welcome him home make him a hired worker fine that is more than enough that's super generous and the son had his prepared speech and his prudent plan, but he can't even finish it before the father interrupts him and calls not for his son's old clothes, but for the father to have his own robe, the best robe in the house brought and placed on him to put the family ring with a family signet. You know you're rich if you've got a ring with your, with your family crest on it. Get one of the ring, the family rings, put it on his finger, put sandals on his feet because that's the sign of the wealthy. My son is home. He's back. And he is my son again. My son was lost. He's found. My son was dead, but now he's alive. And if anyone's unclear about that point, kill the fatted calf. We're having a block party. We're having a barbecue, and everyone's invited. Share in the father's joy. So here is a father whose grace is costly, audacious, bold. And to many, very offensive. But he is a father who receives repentant sinners who come back to him. The son cannot earn his way back into the family. He knows it, the father knows it, everybody knows it. That's part of the scandal here. His son has no right to anything, and yet he can barely get a few words out without his father grabbing him up and bringing him back and restoring him. But he's not just a father who receives repentant rebels. He is the father who appeals to resentful moralists. The elder brother, as we already discussed, was disgusted and furious about the welcoming of his son back into the family. Their, here we have the great irony in the party scene with the, young, with the younger brother who was outside is now in the house. And, uh, and, and the older brother who was in the house is now outside the house. The son wants his rights. He wants what he feels he deserves, what he's earned. But what he doesn't seem to want is the father himself. He can't bring himself to acknowledge his father with respect or even to address his brother as his brother. So, what does a father do with an ungrateful, legalistic son? He humbles himself and he goes outside and he, to bring his son in. And when his son insults him and mistreats him, he doesn't respond in kind. Simply he makes it clear that everything he has belongs to the older son. It's all his. Everything's going to him. But he says it was necessary. That's what the Greek word means. It was necessary to celebrate uh, the return of his brother. Why? Because it's the thing that is repeated in this parable. Your brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. The father doesn't ditch one son for the other, but he desires for both to come in, to be received, and join the celebration. What he needs, though, what we need to see here is that the elder brother has to recognize, and this is the challenge for very religious people, people who are raised in church, people who are very moral and upstanding in their character, is the elder brother types have to realize how lost they are, too, apart from the grace and mercy of God. And we only, and we only realize this when we recognize that all our best works all the best stuff that we have done in our life is so riddled with corruption and polluted with sin that our very best deserves condemnation. But we have a Father who receives, who forgives, who softens hard hearts, who restores rebels and even hyper-religious sinners. So we're actually going to pause there today. I have more to say. But I'm not going to rush through it. So we're going to conclude this parable next week. And, let us, and, but, and, and we're going to really focus in on how. We've already seen a bit about it. We're gonna, but we're going to focus in more about how we see ourselves in the story. Where do we, where do we come up? How do we, how do we come into this? And also to meditate upon the significance and the, and the wonder of the forgiveness of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us rest and love in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that although we find ourselves at various times uh, as elder brothers and younger brothers, as those who are seeking our earthly happiness by breaking the rules or by trying to manipulate you through keeping them, Father, we pray that you would help us to see that you are that loving Father, the loving Father who receives rebellious sinners with joy, but who also appeals to hard-hearted elder brothers. And Father, we pray that wherever we find ourselves today, where we find ourselves out in the pigsties or out in the field, Father, we pray that you would help us to want you, to love you, to desire you. And to return to you, to our glorious Father. And because of nothing but your mercy and goodness and love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.